coming up on Life as a Festival. I also had my whole process of going through the darkness and this raven name came to me not easily. I was resisting and then in that resistance I found how far in the dark I can go to. That beautiful vision about raven bringing dark chocolate into your heart. Wow, it actually has a, some sweet pardon on it, mm, like yeah, aspect, sweetness, sweetness yeah. in it. And it's like oxymoron, like a pain and pleasure both appears to me. I have that taste of pain and pleasure when you described your vision under ayahuasca. It's just like a perfect, one of the perfect visions how to embrace that darkness. When you link that with dark chocolate, wow, I was like, okay, this is so brilliant. <laughs> Hello, my friends and fellow travelers, all of you out there, many of whom I have never met, and yet deem it worthy of your time to hear the stories and conversations I bring to you. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being here. Today on Life is a Festival, we are discussing a topic which has become sweeter and sweeter as I move through my life, which is embracing darkness, the darkness in the world, the darkness of others, the darkness in our own hearts. So people in conscious communities often pay lip service to shadow work, which is a kind of a Jungian concept around trying to make visible the things you hide from yourself. But what does it mean to really embrace darkness? Today on the show, I have Snow Raven, who is a member of the shamanic Saka people from Arctic Siberia. Now, of course, she knows darkness intimately, considering that her people are in complete darkness for at least a portion of the year. And this has inspired her transformative music from the stage of America's Got Talent all the way to Burning Man. On the show, we discuss the Soccer Republic as one of the darkest places on earth and how mental health challenges can be seen as an initiation into shamanism. We get into the 12 levels of Arctic shamanism and how Snow Raven was chosen to carry the sacred drum. We touch upon the beauty of darkness through my own personal vision of a raven. Snow Raven shares her iconic reindeer breath, and she explains why she considers TikTok to be a platform for small rituals. Born in a small village in Arctic Siberia, Snow Raven began learning the language of birds and animals at just three years old. Her voice is deeply rooted in traditional Saka culture, and it's truly an instrument. She is the originator of the Arctic beatbox, the reindeer breath, and the creator of neo-shamanic healing ceremonies. Snow Raven brings a unique perspective to our conversation about meeting all parts of ourselves. Snow Raven, it is my honor to welcome you to Life is a Festival. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you, Eamon, for having me in this beautiful day, making all of this journey and uh, bringing all of your ancestors today to merge with my ancestors and having this beautiful conversation. Hopefully, people will enjoy it. Mm. <coughs> I appreciate you remarking that I bring my ancestors. 
in my lineages, mm-hmm. which are largely British Isles. Oh, um, yeah. Uh-huh. We tend to attend less to our ancestors. And so I think my ancestors appreciate the invitation. They're not necessarily usually regarded in coming into conversations like this. And I'm sure that they've, that they're like, oh, okay, great. Let's come. <laughs> we want to play too. So thank you for inviting my ancestors. That's so kind of you. And I wonder what alchemy there will be between your ancestors and mine today. That adds a whole nother dimension mm. to our conversation. Beautiful. Yeah, it's always very interesting to feel that support behind you. Like when I'm on the stage or I speak or I kind of open that portal of this space, like private space, and then bring data or energy, any sort of the knowledge through that portal and and share it with the rest of the world, I usually ask permission from my ancestors. It happens like so fast and it's like awareness of how... I am responsible for the words I say because it's not only coming from me, it comes from my whole Saka lineage, right? So I'm indigenous Saka. Uh, you probably heard from on the internet word Yakut or Yakutia that was called by Russians, but we call ourselves as a Saka people. And uh, I was born and grew up in a very remote, the most cold place in the earth inhabited place on the earth called Republic of Saha Yakutia. And it's very, very near from the North Pole. Is it, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. You said it's the coldest inhabitable place in the earth. Yeah. Is it also because of the way the seasons work? Is it also at times of year the darkest place on the earth? Yes. So, you know, the whole Arctic Circle has a very special time where during the winter solstice in a certain places which is inside of the Arctic Circle and in the Arctic Circle, those areas, they don't have sunlight. So it might be all the time dark. It's like all, all the time night. On the contrary, during the summer, it might be all the time sunlight. And uh, my people, they do celebrate summer solstice. It's where we receive the most powerful energy from the sun through our palate. And during two days, we celebrate that. We call it uh, and it's a collective, collective ceremony. Over 200,000 people come from all over the counties during these two days. And it's our new year, basically. So we celebrate the end of the darkness, these harsh conditions, this harsh winter that we went through. Usually it goes to minus 96 by Fahrenheit. And people just in in that constant survival mode. And during the summer solstice, we just say, and then we have such a short ha after that all the men go they go out and cut the grass for cattle to survive during the winter time and we survive on cattle and horses so it's like all year long work there's a wood chopping period there's the period when you take the ice cubes from the lakes to have a drinking water Uh, We have the time where the whole families who have cattle have the ceremonies of slaughtering that one cattle will provide food for six-membered families. 
And it's very, very interesting. We can talk about that. I've witnessed so many deaths and births of this beautiful animal who sacrificed themselves for our survival. And there's this beautiful intimacy and the relationship between human being and animal that I've witnessed and so much. Mm. The food comes from the love you put the whole entire year for this. For this. Wow, yeah. wow. You said there's this great celebration for the summer solstice. Mm -hmm. What did your people do in the darkest time of year, in the winter solstice? I imagine there's not some gathering because it's so cold. No. <laughs> but is there any ritual or ceremony that marks the time when it becomes the darkest? So it it is more of a journey and celebration inside, like inner journey, inner world adventure or the prayers and being with your microcosmos rather than going out during the summertime, right? And uh, in those darkest times, like the time when I was born, we already had electricity. My grandfather was born in a very, very traditional way, like two generations behind me. They were living without electricity, without heating system, like no source of civilization is just a source of heating was the fireplace and the cows because they were living next to people through the wall and they were providing that uh, heating. So my grandfather was born in that environment and half of the 10 children, usually women gives more than 10 children, half of them will die and it's a natural selection the mortality of the children was really high. And I was born in the village where my grandfather actually brought electricity. Him and his family and that generation were living in Alas. Alas, it's an open place in the middle of deep, deep forest, deep taiga, with lake in it because the family will survive on that. There is a fish in it and there's drinking water, right? And the reason that place is open because of the permafrost is close to the surface of the soil. That's why the tree cannot grow. And quite often the family would find that place and just make a settlement there, winter house or summer house. And it's 15 miles away, more than 15 miles away from the village where I was born. So village is a little bigger and where it was the collective more Soviet Union, you know, with the Soviet Union, they started to build villages and bring more agriculture. So I was born in post-Soviet Union environment because I was born in 1989 and the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991. So that during that time, in ancient time, during the time of my grandfather's childhood, they stay in the house with the fire with the light of the fire and they have a lot of storytellings and they also have this very interesting time where some gifted member of the family can predict the future. There are special, sometimes weird ceremonies uh, where people come all together in the house and they make the table to move. It's all quite, it's quite often related to mystery. So the people put themselves into this scary, but how to say, out of comfort zone to face 
to face the fear and cold. And one of those ceremonies they have, uh, our tables are round. It's not a rectangle. It doesn't have uh, angles. And there is a method where one of these gifted members of the family, they can make that table to move around and chase even people. And people would take their safe place in the corners of the house. Then it is round the table. It won't hurt. But that what my grandfather was saying, I haven't seen that because that ceremony kind of was, it was lost during Soviet Union. But my grandfather told me a lot of stories how they were entertained themselves during this dark time. And also it has spiritual meaning behind that. It's not only entertainment, it's also predicting the future. And also there's another one when you hear the conversation of the horses. So the horses in in Saka are very, very survival. They are specific type of the horse. They're short-legged and a little bit fat and hairy to survive in minus 96. And they're half wild. They go in the wilderness and they feed themselves under the snow and they sleep standing. And one of those very, very dark and cold days, you can either sleep under the uh, window and listen if horses are around the house, or you can go to the lake where there is oibon. Oibon, it's um, you do hole in the lake and horse come and, and, and drink the water and you can bring this leather blanket and uh, sit and cover yourself and kind of hiding yourself. And then you can listen to the voices of the horses talking in human language Mm. and telling everything about you. Mm. (laughs) Horses talking shit about you? (laughs) I would hate to hear hear horses what horses have to say about me. (laughs) Yeah, it might be anything. It might be, uh, you know, not nice conversation or it might be very exciting conversation, very good for person to hear. Mm. So this... Very interesting ceremonies. They survive. There are people who are actually doing it, like modern, my generation people. And if you look at the whole shamanism that we believe, it survived throughout so many invasions and waves of the changes, the politics and and then the way we became part of Russia because they discovered us in the 17th century. And this whole culture survived because shamans were secretly seeing people, healing people, and it's in my blood. So I love that we're getting into the conversation about shamanism. Mm -hmm. It's my understanding that when we use the word shaman, it actually really only refers to your people. When we talk about a curandera in Peru, the word shaman is actually not the appropriate name, that, that those are actually ayahuasqueros or curanderas, for example, but that shaman really refers to a specific Siberian way of life. And I've heard you refer to it. It's not a religion. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of living. Mm-hmm. I've been fascinated about Siberian shamanism. Mm-hmm. And you're the first person that I've met in my oh. life who's deeply connected. So this is an exciting conversation for me. And just to get it out of the way, 
I do a lot of plant medicine uh-huh. and I know a lot of people who love a lot of plant medicine. When we're talking about Siberian shamanism, now there's a mushroom, which is the- Fly uh, agaric or Amanita muscaria. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got it. The, you know, our mind-altering substances like these mushrooms used by your people and have they been part of your traditions or is it more the trance, the drumming, the other ways of opening doors to perception? Yeah, thank you for asking this question. Um, this is very important for me to deliver that message in a proper way. So my Saka culture doesn't have any psychedelics or plant medicine. We believe in natural ecstatic state of the consciousness and there are many ways to get in there. And as you mentioned, drumming, singing, could be could be also mimicking birds and animal sounds. And I've heard you do that and it's so great. I don't want to interrupt you, but I just for the, for our audience who hasn't heard your extraordinary ability to mimic birds and animal sounds. Feel free to pepper that in whenever you'd like. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I would. I, I like doing that. And so the shamans quite often will invite their totem animal spirit to borrow their skills to help them to fall into trance. And mine is raven. Mm-hmm. So raven is... There are four different sounds from the season that I can reproduce, but there are plenty of them. They can even mimic person's sounds, right? So they do mating sound. Or the summer one is like, more like some woman, you know, screaming somewhere in the forest. I love this towards the earth sound. Raven is quite often assists shaman and it also related to death and rebirth, like a mental death and rebirth. And they're very intellectual and very mysterious. So the shamans in my culture, they go through the special sickness called etteni. And it is the way they get into ecstatic state. First, you need to have straight bloodline and the second you have to be chosen which means that going through that sickness and learning how to deal with that energy that enters your body so what happens is we believe that energy enters the body and the energy of it could be your ancient ancestor who was a shaman and if that power is too much for your physical body what happens your body is like a you know like a cell phone like a device who which put into with the high voltage and it just reacts and it might be quite often a reaction might be appeared through epilepsy or schizophrenia or seizures, some episodes. So we're not labeling people and saying, oh, you have a schizophrenia. On the contrary, they ask an elder shaman come, comes and to come and see, is it, is our child becoming a powerful shaman? What are we going to do? Can you guide? And the whole family and community supports that. And I kind of find very interesting, very fascinating method how to to deal with this mental sickness. And then I co-written the article, which you probably read, about the gifts of our ancestors with uh, one of the psychotherapists from Carl Jung Institute, where I describe how psychoshamanism could be helpful for Western psychiatry. 
So we do believe that this path of dealing with the sickness and learning how to turn that energy into healing and being in service for the community, that what makes them to be a shaman. And the word shaman came from Tungus people, which are our neighbors. So Saka people shares the genes of reindeer herders and also Mongolians. And uh, those reindeer herders, there are over 30 different tribes. Even Evenk, Chukchi, Yukagir people are very close to us. And this particular word, shaman, came from the word saman, which means the person who knows. That came, uh, that turned into shaman, shamanism, and entered the whole Western uh, world with the terminology as a shamanism and saying that came from Arctic Siberia. But as a phenomena, if you look at the human transformation and becoming a gifted and being in service of community for doing ceremonies and predicting the future, healing people and working with the elements in the in the environment and even being connected to the extraterrestrials. That is everywhere. That is around the world and each indigenous tribes, they have own name for that. And it's also not only among the indigenous, it's also among our society and it is happening today too. We have all of these gifted people around us. We're treating them in different ways. So that's what I'm feeling. Snow Raven, I mean, we're 20 minutes in and you have already lit up so much in my (laughs) mind that I want to talk to you about. So kudos. And you've just now lighted on something that is so interesting and important. Many of the listeners to this podcast, and myself included, struggle with mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. So many people do. There's a meme that often moves through Instagram or whatever. And the meme basically says, in shamanic cultures, we don't see mental illness as a problem. We see it as an initiation. We see it as a call to step into greater power. And that actually, this isn't a sickness. It's part of a kind of shamanic transformation. The meme says something like this. Uh Uh-huh. And so we in the West with our depression and our anxiety and our OCD, we see a meme like that and we say, well, maybe I'm special. Maybe I'm actually meant to be a shaman. Maybe I'm meant to take this thing that's challenging for me and maybe it's actually because I'm chosen, as you were saying, to be a shaman, you're chosen. Maybe I'm chosen. And it's tricky because I think in part for people like myself, Maybe that feels like a cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. That feels like I'm trying to borrow someone's culture. Or the other issue is that, you know, maybe I just have depression and I'm not special and it's not a transformational experience. Maybe it's just there's something challenging in my brain. So this is a great conversation for me to ask someone like you who's been so close to this culturally. When you look out on the landscape of mental health challenges... And specifically, I think of things like depression, anxiety, maybe eating disorders, addiction, these things that are really maladies of the mind. These are problems of the mind. From the perspective of your culture and shamanism, looking at people who are very removed from an indigenous context, do you think that these are potentially portals to connecting in a shamanistic way to other worlds and actually bringing healing? Or is it maybe more complex than that Maybe it's more just there's something going wrong 
with someone's chemistry in their mind. What's your take on that when you look at people in the West? Thank you. We have 12 different levels of the upper world in shamanism. Why I would start from describing first three worlds, lower, middle, and the higher. The lower world is the realm of the fear. We call that kutal. I know that realm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've been in that realm a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so the fear realm, it's a part of us that sits deep down in the DNA. Like it's, it's, it's part of us. We can't deny or run away from that or push it away. That what we're doing most of the time because it feels so uncomfortable, right? Instead of that facing it, like my people faced darkness and cold, but it's, it's painful when you face it. So doing that processing and f creating this friendship with our fear, it helps us to elevate that energy towards the middle world. So the middle world it's the uh, place where the love, taptal, should reside. And we need to create our physical world from our heart, from, from the love. Then we can have very healthy environment. But instead of that, what we do, it's quite often we act out of fear. So the middle world has the energies of both upper or higher and the lower. It's like a pain and pleasure constantly dancing with each other. And then the higher world is, as, I, as you understood, it's a more positive, more like looking at the, the opposite side of the lower world. But it's also very interesting for me that we have 12 deities, 12 different levels of the higher world. And each deity is a representation of the certain energy. And it's mostly like something that bigger than us. If you look at the sun or moon or the stars, it's bigger than us. And realizing that what if we are inside of small cell, right? What if... Our creators are bigger than us and then we are just part of that and we have own mission to do something in this world. And then the lower world for me also associates with the underground, like all the volcano and lava and mycelium, all of these microorganisms there. So it's, it's, it becomes very complex for my perception. More I learn about the world and about more other cultures. So I start, I start perceiving that way. But with answering to your question, we have 12 different levels of sky and the shaman's strength. The power of shaman also can be related, relative to those levels, like how far they can go to. So there are shamans who are beginners and they can do certain ceremonies, like cleansing the house, doing certain ceremonies for the birth or death, connecting to local spirits or cleaning the energy of the person. And then there are shamans who can heal people. So they work with, oh my God, so many interesting techniques. They can swallow the inflammation without even touching the body and throw it up. They can make non-surgical operations in the body. They can also use some animal parts, some fish and put that in the body. So there are a lot of interesting methods and then they are quite often related to very scary rituals, but it's, it's how we 
learn how to deal with fear and the death and the darkness. So we just face them. And then there are shamans who are mediums, sort of they see the future or they can locate lost people in the taiga or they can say why the how and when these people died. They can also locate the game meat for hunters. Now, there are shamans who can work with elements of the weather. And if there's a dry season, they can bring rain. And the 12 sky shamans, so I'm going higher and higher. 12 sky shamans are those who can do all of this the 11 levels, and additionally, they can connect to extraterrestrials. So in my, how I would explain this, everyone has own path. And I see for the modern society, for particularly for those people who take the energy moving chaotically or being stuck in the body and it turns into depression or anxiety or something else, I truly believe that that it, this is for transformation as being human we experience a lot of things and this is part of us the way how we embrace the darkness in saka culture there's a word called arctic hysteria and again there's no quite a correct words to describe experiences in my culture in English because the words, they're very limited. So the Arctic hysteria, that's what you are saying. It's more like an energy. It doesn't serve, it's not processed and it doesn't serve the community. It's just chaotic. But there is this uh, etani process where shamans learn throughout the months and it could go to the years or even decades how to deal with this enormous energy and turn it into healing and find your own place within that, you know, in 12 different levels. And quite often shamans also, they know what they do. They say like, oh, I cannot heal this particular sickness. I can refer to another shaman. So they know their area and the place where they operate. I know my place, I know my mission, why I'm doing this journey and why do I have this gift that I'm very, very grateful for. And uh, I quite often hear the like a voice or like a inside information, a lot of downloads coming to me and I accept it as a puzzles that I can put to create the whole whole message. And then when I found that message, I'm like, wow. Okay, I'm following. And so I follow that path and I ended up being in the United States. And then my, my thing, it's the sound. I love uh, using sound as a, one of the methods to fall into altered state, to be able to download useful information. Okay, so there's three threads here and I want to touch on all of them uh -huh. at one point in the conversation. So this idea of our relationship to the darkness, this is a big deal for me and something I care a lot about. And we're going we're gonna to touch on that a little bit later. I want to touch on music and your relationship to music, of course. 
So that's the second thing. But first of all, let's locate you in the trajectory of your relationship to shamanism, your relationship to the unfolding in your own being. Now, I understand that there was a 12-sky shaman who, in a sense, chose you, in a sense, observed you, helped you to be given your name. Is that accurate? So that in the article that you read, my shaman teacher, who basically, I would say he was my guide. Because I haven't been, you know, sitting with him for months and learning because I never seen myself be working with methods that he works. It's a sickness. I I rather would go wider and share my music as a medicine. So that's my path. For that, he gave me permission from the spirits. He was a mediator. Mm. And he asked from spirits, can I play drum? Because in my culture, we can't play drum without permission. We can't sound that sacred, right? Very low, bassy sound that awakens a lot of spirits. And then in shamanism, the, the drum is like a horse that mm. you can ride in order to visit other realms. So he gave me that permission. And since that time, I, I was able to improvise and connect and channel so that... Uh, what Savey, 12 sky tungus shaman, where the word shaman come from, shaman, right? Mm. I have that privilege and honor to be connected to him. And another shaman who I was very connected is Alexandra Konstantinovna, Alexandra Cherkova in English. So Alexandra, she is a daughter of the 12 sky shaman, but he's a Saka shaman. And he passed away like a hundred years ago, but she was a surgeon during Soviet Union. So her healing abilities manifested as being a doctor in a so Soviet Union, in the matrix. But she was secretly using her shamanic skills that she learned from her father in her surgery, in her practice, which was for me like, wow, it's brilliant, it's a bridging, you know, when the modern and ancient meets each other. And she, I was constantly connected to her and talking to her was very hard because she lives in the wilderness, like in a small village uh, without cell phone. And it was hard to, to uh, I was very important for me to catch her. There's an amazing book about her father. So that was my also another guide. And I ha I also had beautiful conversations with other other shamans. I was sitting with them. But one shaman woman, she saw me and she said, "Oh, you are sore." And I'm like, "No, it is very very heavy name. I'm not sore." Sore means snow raven. And why is it a heavy name? Because it's related to rebirth and death, death mm. and rebirth. So, and I was young, it was about seven years ago, and I kept denying it, like pushing it away. And what, what you, you know, resist that persists. Usually the energy of the raven was coming to me, and I, okay, I have to deal with that. And I, that was my kind of transformation, like my ethne rite of passage process of accepting and receiving that name. And then I, when, I, when I received, when I finally said, okay, I'm becoming sore, all of a sudden I felt 
so free and my wings were spread so wide and I was a solo artist. So I decided to be a solo artist by that time and come up with more my vision rather than incorporating other rhythms. And, you know, I had a music partner before and his heritage is Armenian and Greek and his rhythm comes from that lineage. So we had kind of blended contemporary but based in traditional music project. But right now, like receiving that name opened up the whole another space for me to go deeper to my ancestors and receive those messages and deliver it in a in a very interesting way to the communities that I'm in. So that's my my relationship with shamanism and shamanism I'm, I'm student of life constantly humble student and I study shamanism I do have a degree on world economy that's how I learned English and it was British English <laughs> in my homeland in the capital in Yakutsk and I and I got sociology it wasn't I didn't finish that I never finished but it was on shamanism too I got a scholarship so went to Lapland in Finland and met with Sami shamans I went to Warsaw University I got another scholarship and had some I was working on my basically PhD but I never finished it because I wanted to be a physician I thought this this one is it will have more expense rather than me working with a paper and typing and <laughs> reading. So, but this is all coming to me. I'm bringing all of the skills that I learn into this music project that I'm working. And then it has the whole social aspect, the whole another projects that I think very, very important. It's related to eco projects and yeah, it's whole another conversation. Mm. That is my my relationship with shamanism, and shamanism has all of these techniques for falling into trance. I use them in my concerts, and then if you look at the uh, whole structure of the concerts, it also starts like a shamanic ceremony. It has this like a intro and a building, the building energy. There's a peak and then fading it out, fading out and the closing. And if you look at the whole entertainment industry and even DJ playing with the crowd, I see it like a shaman doing gathering and all people are connected to the heartbeat, to the rhythm that shaman is creating. And that's what I'm very, very fascinated about while I'm here in this modern life in this body in this specific period of time and in this specific country with these people I try to project and look at it in a way that I grew up and I find a lot of similarities that what we are experiencing it's quite similar that what my people have been experiencing and still experiencing living in that harsh cold conditions in probably for someone who is in the tropical, in the very good weather conditions, they might have the similar challenging experiences in their lives. It's not about environment. Environment, of course, puts your body and you don't have a choice. <laughs> you like have to deal with that. That's why we have also a lot of shamans being born in a, in a specific period of time before 
Soviet Union came. And it was like a lot of healers being born in that time. And here, I also feel when it's the most needed, the universe kind of sends this gifted people and they're, they're being born in a specific time. So I kind of, I like explaining things around me through my culture. Mm. Yeah, and you're very good at it. And oh, it's yeah. very helpful. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. This program is Life is a Festival. Your music, Burning Man, everything that you're bringing. There's a lot there. And that's where I'd like to end our conversation. But before, there's a conversation that I want to have with you that I've been thinking about on my way over here and I've been thinking a lot about it, which is about darkness. Mm -hmm. So I have a Raven story. Mm. My primary way of experiencing shamanic healing, my access to shamanic realms is through ayahuasca ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And I've been sitting in ayahuasca ceremonies since 2014. So mm -hmm. it's been a reasonable journey for me and it's something that is very sacred to me and I take very seriously. I had a vision once in a ceremony. It was a brief vision, but in the entire experience of the ceremony, six hours, this was the vision that stuck with me the most. And it was very simple. It was a raven and the raven had its wing and with its wing, it was sweeping shavings of dark chocolate into my heart. Hmm. So this raven sitting wow. next to my heart with these beautiful, rich, dark chocolate, just sweeping the dark chocolate into my heart. And in the way that these visions are, well, this may be your experience of these visions. It certainly is mine. That there's a certain potency where you just feel like you get what's happening, even though it's not explained to you and even using words to explain it to someone else isn't appropriate, but you get what's happening. And what I understood in that moment was there was an embracing of the darkness, that the raven was helping me to bring darkness into my heart and see the darkness of the raven's black wings, the yeah. darkness of the dark chocolate, <laughs> not as evil to be pushed away, yeah. but as something to be deeply embraced. And for me, I've had suicidality in my family, suicidal ideation in my own life. Suicidal ideation is very much darkness. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. I, I also have a lot of darkness in my sexuality, mm -hmm. but I've understood over time the medicine, how to alchemize it and how to use the sexual energy and desires that, that I used to think of as, as very negative as actually healing and connecting and creating intimacy. And that's been a huge journey for me. And this idea of darkness, the things we think of as dark, especially the things we're afraid of, especially the things we're afraid of in our own hearts. Mm -hmm that there's something about embracing and welcoming and that there's an alchemizing and healing from that. And to me, that was depicted in the wing of this raven. And so I'm like, I'm going to go talk to Snow Raven, Snow Raven who lived in a place where there's such a deep plunge into darkness every year from a legacy of shamanism that is not afraid of the darkness, where the shamanism itself is about this connection. And I've just so excited to share this story with you. And I'm curious what you think of this story, just having gotten to know me. And also let's open up this topic of darkness and how we can embrace darkness for all of our listeners at the moment, because we all have our darkness. Oh, it is. I love talking about darkness and it is so true that it is part of us and it is in us. We can't deny or push it away or run away from it. The darkness is quite often, I compare it to the night 
and uh, night has own time and then it will be replaced by the day, but then it will come back. So it's constant impermanence of the life. I see it more like a dancing with pain and pleasure. As I described this darkness, it comes from the fear and unknown fear of being lost in that unknown. Unknown quite often is like when you close your eyes, it's dark, but it doesn't mean evil. It's not going to harm you, right? It comes from the lack of, lack of the conversations about death and unknown and mystery. And if you look at the Western society, it's, most of people are Christians here, correct? And they don't speak too much about death. On the contrary, they see it's something that, oh, that scares us. And that also impacted to my culture during the Orthodox Christianity invaded to our culture. And then they also brought their ceremonies there and their own vision. And there's baptized some of the Saka people. But weather took over. <laughs> weather and then, you know, like this constant survival mode when you're constantly out of comfort zone, you have sort of more engine and power to act. When you surround yourself with a too much comfort zone, you are you become a little bit okay. You know, like your body doesn't want to move too much. You want to kind of relax. And in that re relaxation, we can misregard certain things. And that's why for me, having both aspects, upper and the lower, dark and light, and dancing with them, learn how to calibrate yourself in that double-edged blade. It's very, very important. And the kutal, fear realm, it's, it's in us if you look at our ancient ancestors who were hunters, all the ancestors of the whole human beings, doesn't matter where we were born. Their reality was constantly dealing with probably predators trying to kill them and attack. And those hunters, when they meet them in the wilderness, what the body does is prepare for some action. And it tightens your, your muscles. All of a sudden you have adrenaline rush and you either ready to attack to defend yourself or run away. And today we don't have those big predators ready to kill us. We see, unfortunately, in people, those predators. And we have this anger and all of these harmful actions uh, that first of all harm us. They're happening constantly. And that's why we have this falling apart, all the war going on. And that's why we jump into arguments and we burn ourselves. So... Just simply seeing it as a part of us and then seeing it as an opportunity to elevate it and act out of heart, like linking that with your heart instead of just leaving that engine, that power that tightens your body, just releasing and relaxing and opening your heart instead of making it like a stone, like a rock closed. I found it very, very helpful. I also had my whole process of going through the darkness and this raven 
raven name came to me not easily. I was resisting and then in that resistance I found how far in the dark I can go to. That beautiful vision about raven bringing dark chocolate into your heart. Wow, it actually has a, some sweet pardon on it, mm, like yeah, aspect, sweetness, sweetness yeah. in it. And it's like oxymoron, like a pain and pleasure both appears to me. I have that taste of pain and pleasure when you described your vision under ayahuasca. It's just like a perfect, one of the perfect visions how to embrace that darkness. When you link that with dark chocolate, wow, I was like, okay, this is so brilliant. It's the, the, <laughs> and there's, there's an unexpected sweetness uh -huh. in the darkness. And you were saying earlier that there's this fear of, we don't have these predators to eat us, but we see these predators in other people. Yeah. And it sounds like what you were saying is that fear of this predator in others needs to be alchemized by bringing that fear into the heart. I think something that's also the other side of that is the predators inside of us. You know, like, oh, yeah. and for me, the alchemization of my fear of others harming me is part of it. But the deeper thing is like looking at that energy in myself because I am an apex predator in terms of the evolution of the human species. And that there's a predatory energies that I see as darkness within us now. And as you say, we see them in others. And my thesis, what I've been thinking about this for a long time is that if we do not embrace those predatory energies inside us, that darkness inside us, we don't embrace it, we don't make friends with it, make peace with it, that's when it acts out in the world. That's when it causes harm. So if someone has energy in them of darkness that could be harmful to others mm -hmm. and they suppress it and they don't speak of it and they don't build a relationship with it, it's guaranteed to want to come out into oh, the yeah. world. But if we embrace it, this is often referred to as like shadow work. And you were talking yeah. about young, the Jungian idea of shadow work. Yeah. But the embracing, the touching, the making friends with it, that there is something that happens where it's not just the fear that we can bring into our heart, but also the things that we fear inside ourselves that we want to push away. That's what we need to embrace and bring close. And there's the dark chocolate. There's the sweetness, even in the parts of ourselves that we're afraid of and we wish weren't true with us they have their medicine and their lessons too if we have the courage to sit with them and be with them. And that's been a huge part of my journey. Yeah, beautiful. I think creating safe platforms or safe space for people to embrace their darkness and to embrace it quite often starts from start talking about that, having conversations and dialogues, healthy conversations on heavy things. And that allows the energy not sitting and being stuck in the body. That when it's stuck, it, it might, as you described, blast and like explode and harm the others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, instead of that, we process it and let it flow. And it, it will find own way to reconnect where it comes from. Because seeing the middle world as between upper and the lower and there's negatively and positively charged energies constantly like coming in and out and then even more trying to practice this how to feel to be everywhere and nowhere all at once and it's so hard it's almost like a finding equanimity so that 
is one of the main concepts of shamanism, being everything and nothing at the same time, being everywhere and nowhere all at once. And that is where I'm trying to find how does it feel to be in that realm. I might not find it. I might even, you know, experience it in the death process or even even might not feel it that way. It's it's very, very hard, but I'm my inner child just wants to mm. find it out. What is this mystery and paradox of the of the life where two oppositely charged energies, which are dualities. So we're constantly living in a duality. But there are so many different colors, like rainbow colors between black and white. And so I want to find out while I'm in this body on this given time. Again, time for me, it's not a linear, it's more like a spiral. And so I want to discover and explore like all of us, we're in that great journey. Mm. When something that's really beautiful about what you do in the world is you're in that childlike exploration, in that deep wisdom thread, finding these things out. And then it's not just that you're finding it out for you. You find it out and then you are, as you are learning and exploring, you're amplifying it out in the world through your music. And I had the honor of hearing you offer an impromptu, felt like an impromptu gift to a, to a gathering. Is our, our mutual friend's birthday, mm-hmm. uh, a little gathering there. And it was so interesting watching just you with your voice, just present there in that moment, 40, 50 people completely captivated. And they were captivated in part by exactly what you just described. There's this, the childlike wonder, the exploration, you know, the way that you do the animal calls and the way that you bring these different aspects in, I think is very captivating to people because I think a lot of people don't feel free in that way, to be in play with the world as you do, with your culture, with your performance. And you take your ability to be that way and then you perform it. And it's not just, you know, in a backyard in Marin, you also are doing it at Burning Man. You're doing it on these big stages. You did it on the stage of America's Got Talent. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're projecting your exploration. And I think it's, it's, it's impressive. And it's a great gift, but it also must be challenging for you as well to be holding that energy for others. And to me, that seems quite shamanistic to hold that energy for others. Yeah, it is. It is. We call to be, we call a gift sometimes as a burden when it comes into shamanism Mm, (laughs) because mm -hmm. it requires a lot of sacrificing. It's not easy. It's not a fun thing to be a shaman. And um, that's a great tagline for the show, by the way. It's not a fun thing to be a shaman. <laughs> that's a great tagline because it seems so cool, but it's it's a great burden. Yeah, it's a burden. I I'm aware of my sacrificings that I'm I'm having in my 33, and describing this backyard performance, I absolutely love singing without microphone speakers, the acceleration, no effects, no electronic sounds, and it's just a raw voice traveling in the air, in the space, and then the richest people's heart. Yeah, that's what I love doing it. But I also have this inner child explorer that likes creating bridges and then 
I'm very passionate about new technologies and I um, bridge modern beats with my traditional songs and I quite often do this animals and birds calls and some of them beautiful, some of them really scary, like reindeer breath. Like yeah, The reindeer breath. <laughs> yeah. I didn't do that, but by the way, in the backyard. Because you didn't? No, I know you didn't. And I heard it on a recording and I was, I'm so excited. You're gonna, I, I interrupted you because I'm so excited you want to do it now. I love the reindeer breath. Yeah. So the reindeer breath, I usually address to people and say, so don't be scared from that because it sounds really oh, with a low vibration, like almost like a throat singing, but it's rhythmic throat singing. And it sounds like this. So I like like doing uh, oh, it's like si- yeah, it's just Siberian beatboxing. Yeah. It's so cool. I call it oh. Arctic beatbox. Yeah, and, and have you have you used those tones when you've collaborated with like DJs at Burning Man? Like, uh-huh. have you, oh, yeah, I need you need to let me know where you're performing this year because <laughs> I haven't seen you at Burning Man. I'm familiar uh-huh. with your work. To me, that's a very trance engendering kind of of rhythm and kind of tone and just the way you know the throat and into like the different registers in your face and into the nasal cap like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a singer as well yeah. not by any means like you are but I'm, I'm a classical baritone and just watching the way you use the different cavities in your in your head and in your nose and in your throat it's just so cool <laughs> thank so you cool. by the way when we define in the classical like the professional singers and separating it from what I do, I actually see them very shamanic and Mm. they're mastering certain methods, like certain spots in the body and that's where they at. And it's also beautiful. And for me, we're from the same tribe, Mm. all the singers. And the fact that I can use more part of my body or different parts of my body, I just would like to share it with people. And then a lot of singers, they catch it quickly, especially birds and animal sounds. I teach people how to do that. I've prepared four different courses, how to mimic birds and animal sounds, how to open up your unique voice, so I believe everyone has own timbre, people who never even, even sing because they can speak, which means that they have a neuro vocal range, right? And then first singing skills came us when we've been born as a baby, like with first <coughs> crying, that's the, that's the melody or that, that sound comes from the pain that our alveoles like popping up with the oxygen entering through our lungs and we're changing our environment completely from warm this water in, being inside of the womb of the mother well, all of a sudden comes through a small hole like it's very painful for our mothers and for us to enter this reality and we're probably experiencing like a death 
right? We probably might experience it as a us that is awaiting for all of us in the future, which is that process. But what happens if we comes to this reality and we inhale the oxygen in a different way. So it's very fascinating. I don't know what is waiting for us after this lifetime, but it's definitely another realm where our soul will continue journeying. And so this voice is very important for that because it takes us to many, many realms without obstacles. And the number three, it's Arctic beatbox. And the four is mouth harp. So the mouth harp or Jew harp, we call it hummus. It's a beautiful, so powerful, small instrument that you can even wear as a necklace. And in, when I'm in the birthdays or any small gatherings, I just take it out and play. You probably heard that in the backyard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it's so cool. It's like a, it sounds like an ancient electronic music. It came actually, it's originated from the bow of the hunter. Pew, pew, pew. So it's just one string vibrating. And what is very interesting is a lot of ethnicities, shamanic tribes around the world, they have own version of that instrument, but made from different material. Our is made from iron and it sounds really clean and so powerful. It connects to my bones through my teeth because I put mm, it on my teeth. Okay, so the resonance is going yeah. all through like your your skull and teeth. Oh and my so, God, oh, wow, okay. it goes all over and then it looks like I'm standing and doing some movement with my hand, but all like entire body, the whole body moves. It does micro movements. It's like a dancing inside of you because you breathe, you do this, but the whole sound changes. They come from the palate, your tongue, your throat, the way you are changing the airstream here inside of your mouth and it's also you know every single person's sound will be different with the same mouth harp even they play the same mouth harp they will sound completely different because it connects to your soul and then different people has different resonate resonant resonant Resonance. Resonance in the body. So, yeah, this four courses I usually offer to people and you can find it all the announcements on Instagram. Well, And, and we'll have links in the show notes as well. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. So if you're listening and you want to learn these things, which I, I do, <laughs> then we'll have links in the show notes. And as you said, there's announcements on Instagram. And what is your Instagram? Snow Raven Official. Okay, great. It's everywhere in Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. When you have a lot of TikTok followers, don't you? I feel like you have like a million TikTok followers yeah. or something. <laughs> that yeah. makes sense that that medium would be really good for people connecting with what you have to share. Yeah, it's been very interesting to explore that realm, realm of where the people's attention is fast and it's very dynamic. So TikTok has own interesting spirit, like a mood there. And I found more young people are hanging out there. And I see this technology is more like a tool that can you can reach out. You, you speak with them with the same language. You use the same tool that they use. And you can just provide healthy content. And I've seen the reaction of people. So I have so much hope that people are awakening 
and they watch more meaningful content, even in TikTok, even that like 10 seconds, 15 seconds of videos. And this one of my videos became viral where I was connected to the tree, tying my hair. And there were a lot of funny interpretations of that. People started to connect to their plants in the house by tying their hair and doing birds and animal sounds. So if you want to create some trend and small rituals in our daily lives, you go for TikTok. I love TikTok as a platform cr- for creating small rituals. Yeah. That's such a beautiful reframe for how you might use it and that those rituals can be amplified exactly. and shared with people and that they can have you know, the, the joy of that, the connecting with the environment around them. I love TikTok for small rituals. That's yeah. great. Yeah, so the, I like reframing things and trying to find out what is more positive, what, what is the positive income outcome could be from from this what I'm doing and in TikTok I found you know all of these trends as an energy the way people like creating trends it's and then people follow those trends it's not only for views it's something that them f- feeling as a part of collective consciousness and that what we are trying I think that we're lack of we're too much into individual separate and uh, with pandemic too. And then when it happens, people, as I told, everything and nothing happening at the same time, when there's a separation, there is also coming together. That oneness, Feel p- people will long for that wholeness. And TikTok is an amazing platform to create the strength slash ceremonies. Wow. <laughs> I love that you're using this tool and that you're connecting with young people. And it kind of brings us back to what we were speaking about maybe 20 minutes ago, the way that you're amplifying, the way that you're bringing this energy. You know, I, I watched the video of you on America's Got Talent and I love that you chose to sing Zombie <laughs> yeah. because it was a great choice. It was brilliant because the audience knows it. It connected with them. And so you're showcasing something that is completely new to these people. And this is a platform where it's like very mainstream. Yeah, oh my God. But you managed to connect with everybody, all the judges, like you managed to connect with everybody because you found this beautiful hybrid. And the hybrid was, here's this pop song, Zombie, which is a perfect, it's a great choice. And then weaving it in so so that people could receive it. You know, I think if you if you gotten up there and you'd sang a more traditional song, I don't think that that, you know, Americans, they, they wouldn't have quite gotten it, but the fact that you chose that. And then we, you know, looking at, at you at Burning Man, when you're working with like, you know, like Isaiah Martin or, mm-hmm. you know, these, these, I saw a video with him and like these different DJs and like weaving it in in this space and, and percolating not just music as something you listen to, but the vibrations coming from a different place, coming from maybe other realms in a shamanic context. And so, this isn't a question. I'm just telling you I like it. <laughs> I, just, I just think it's cool. I just think it's really cool and and really needed and really valuable in our in our world at this time. And I and I'm glad that you're doing that. Thank you. I'm glad to serve this path that I'm in and being a bridger. That's I, I think I was born in that bridging time after the Soviet Union collapse. And I just embody that and it's in me, in my blood. So I'm just gladly serving it, despite all of the burdens. And yeah. <laughs> and 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 you're performing at my birthday party 
tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know, I'm having a birthday party with a group of friends. So we're doing like 10 people's birthday parties. So you're really performing at 10 people's birthday parties. And, you know, but we'll, we're going to get you performing tomorrow, which I'm so excited about. And we have these four courses that you're doing. And are they are those courses, they're going to be announced on Instagram or can people go to your website and check in with them now? Like, I want to be clear on like where people are going if they're interested in learning more. So I do sometimes pop up announcements and once a month online courses for beginners series. A choice of my my choice of those four courses, depending on what people want more. So upcoming, I'm preparing more like pre-recorded videos and put out in Kajabi as online courses that people will have access anytime under subscription. So that will be easier for me to define, okay, you, you did beginner series, you did intermediate, you did advanced, and then people with the same level, they will come to in-person gatherings or online gatherings in the future. And then they will be more arranged and organized rather than having in my class person who never sang and person who is a singer already. So there's a quite difference a little bit. And that's why I'm bringing out this pre-recorded videos. And I'm actually working on a app. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That makes sense for you. Yeah. So that app is going to be like a social media. Look at it more like social media for a conscious community or, or people who are interested and curious in self-growth, the spiritual growth. Like and the listeners to this podcast, for example. Yeah. So we were going to give a music tool that will give them an opportunity to weave and create own music for meditations or for any mood that we're going through for sleeping, for yoga, for, uh, for meditation, for hiking, for hanging out, could be any. We're going to put out samples there and people can also put their own samples. There is going to be an educational aspect where indigenous representatives of the indigenous tribes are going to share the knowledge in singing or playing instrument or dancing, they can share their own knowledge and people can have access under subscription and learn from them. And usually what happens after the, the learning, you want to practice and express yourself and then kind of process it through yourself. And in that case, we have this music tool. So, and then part of me also wants to use that app Every day, so I'm doing it for myself. Like, oh, I, nice. Yeah. You, yeah, you should be you should be the first user of your exactly. Own app. Like, if you want to use it every day, then it's likely others will too. Yeah, and then I'm like a guinea pig, being as a indigenous person, putting out my courses there, and making it very, very user friendly, very easy for helping them for their spiritual growth, and also putting out some of my samples that DJs or music producers can use. And also that musical tool just made me to think, when I started to use Ableton Live, I thought, oh my God, this is so cool, but so complicated. Okay, what is the most enjoyable part of Ableton Live when you put effects and you play around, you mess around? So I want to bring that part to our app and, and give the people the opportunity to mess around with their own sound. They can record themselves. And it's all, you know, 
on the phone. It is happening on the phone with the special headphones. So I'm very, very right now in the process of going through all of little details, looking at the app as a user. And I have my team from Poland, the whole developers and I have my friend, she's helping me how to deliver it for American, you know, like a more like American mentality, more like a Western mentality. So we are having, uh, we're building our small team and it will come out as a GoFundMe soon. And I'm going to release my first English song on our Earth Day. It's called Web of Life. It's a a single, a single, and also music video that uh, we filmed in here in Bay Area. By the way, after the wildfires, we went to the place where it was burned out, and we did a ceremony there, and also filmed that song. And lyrics were written by Chief Seattle. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. Wow. Wow, that's such a cool collaboration. So many great things going on, Snow Raven. Like, really cool what you're doing. Thank you. and, and I think when people are really in their dharma, when people are really in their path, opportunities just bubble up because people see you and they want to collaborate, they want to get involved. And it seems like you've just put in so much work to give your gifts to the world. And it's very inspiring to all of us. And, and, and I will say, I think it comes also from embracing the darkness and bringing in that sweet, dark chocolate into your heart Aww. because that's part of the offering. That's part of what we give. So you're quite an example and I really appreciate you. Thank you, Eamon. Thank you for having me for your people and remember that don't be afraid to sound weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's the big takeaway of the whole podcast. Embrace the darkness, but most importantly, don't be afraid to sound weird. I love that. Thank That's so you. Good. Thank you, Snow Raven. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Life is a Festival. If you like the show, you can support it by sharing it with your friends, following it on Spotify, or reviewing it on iTunes. If you'd like to get more involved, you can join our Facebook group, Life is a Festival, where we talk about the show and you can suggest new guests. If you really liked the show and maybe want a little bit more, visit my digital tip jar at patreon slash lifeisafestival.com. Whatever you do, I hope today's podcast helped you make your life just a little bit more like a festival. And I'll see you on the dance floor.